As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've declared, is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters rock. Your word which goes forth from your mouth shall not return to you empty without accomplishing what you desire and without succeeding in the matter for which you sent it. So we pray that you would cause it to work repentance and faith and grateful obedience in our hearts by your spirit, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated and please turn with me in God's word to the book of Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that many of our pew Bibles on page 1047. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We want to look at Matthew 18 and particularly beginning at verse 21 with uh, what we often call the parable of the unforgiving or unmerciful servant. So Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21, and we'll read together through the end of the chapter. So Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Uh, We come in our study of the Lord's prayer to that fifth petition where we ask God to forgive us our debts. But we don't just ask him to forgive us our debts, do we? We ask him to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, And that's an important petition for us to consider. Uh, We've prayed for, for God's glory, for his kingdom, for his will, for our physical necessities in life. And now we're praying this important spiritual need that we have for our sins to be forgiven us. Um, And it's interesting that our Lord ties that concept of our forgiveness uh, to the way we forgive other people. And I thought in in considering this 
uh, petition together, what better example could we draw from Scripture uh, than the unmerciful servant and the way uh, he seems unable to relate what he's been forgiven to how he ought to be forgiving. Um, And it's a powerful lesson for us. It's an interesting parable of our Lord's because so often when the parables are given, uh, what happens? The disciples have to then go off and say, I'm not sure what this means. Could you please explain it to us? Um, This is interesting in that way, isn't it? Because it doesn't seem like a parable that needs much explanation. Um, If I said we're going to spend our whole time tonight going into a detailed explanation of what, what this parable means, I, I think I would just have to repeat myself all night long because it's pretty simple what this parable means, right? One guy was forgiven a lot, and then he turned around and refused to be forgiven, forgiving, and that's not good. Um, he seems to be incapable of thinking about what he's been forgiven and then apply that to other people. And I think that's really the, the difficulty of this parable. It's not to understand what it means. Uh, this, this parable is easy to understand what it means, It's easy to understand in the abstract what it means. Um, It's even easy to understand what it means when you apply it to someone else. It's It's easy to stand back and look at this servant and just shake our heads and say, boy, it's really sad that he just can't get it. Um, But what does this parable really expose about us is that we need this parable because we have trouble seeing when we are behaving like the unforgiving servant. Um, We sometimes don't see ourselves in this parable. And don't recognize where we've become like him. And this is a very important concept for us to get. Because much like the unforgiving servant in this, in this story, we are people who've been forgiven a lot. We've been forgiven a lot. This guy has been forgiven a lot. Uh, maybe it doesn't strike us immediately when we see how many talents he owed. That he owed 10,000 talents. Um, I'm sure there's an app for converting talents to modern currency, but we don't have to, right? Because it says 10,000 talents, and then there's a footnote in the ESV, and it says a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages as a laborer. Um, So what you earn in 20 years times 10,000. I got into this business because math was not required, but you can do the math, right, of of how much that, how much he really owes, Right? It's not unlike when you hear that somebody's been sentenced to prison for 250 years. And it's sort of, you know, might as well make it 10,000 years. I mean, you're not going to make 250 years. It's, it's an impossible amount for him to pay back. Um, and even really have, being sold and having his family sold and having everything he owes sold would not really make a dent in the debt that he owes to this king. He's been forgiven much. Um, By contrast, the other servant owes him relatively little by comparison. Uh, We're told that this is what he owes him is 100 denarii, and that amounts to maybe three and a half months' wages. Um, It's a sizable debt, but it's not a debt that's impossible to pay. It's something he might have been able to pay off given time, but he was unwilling, the servant who was owed the money was unwilling to give him the time. It's someone who's been forgiven a debt he could never repay. Uh, Being unwilling to forgive someone a relatively little debt by comparison. Um, Unless we think somehow that we can escape 
the scrutiny of this parable, what does our Lord say at the end of giving the parable? That everybody who hears it needs to be mindful of it. Because he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And I think our Lord is helping us by giving us a main petition of the Lord's Prayer to remind us, you've been forgiven a lot, you need to be a forgiving people. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, Those two are tied together by our Lord and and causes us and should cause us every time we pray that prayer uh, to ask ourselves about both aspects. Um, How forgiving am I to those who've wronged me? How like God am I or how unlike God am I in my forgiveness? Do I really want God to forgive me the way I forgive other people? Um, Do I really want to ask that in my prayers? And so I think it's important for us to understand this petition, to understand both aspects of it um, and understand our, our, our duty before the Lord in that way. Um, and tonight I just want to consider both aspects of that petition. First, our need to be forgiven and then our need to be forgiving. That's how I want to think about this t- together tonight. Our need to be forgiven and our need to be forgiving. Question 126 asks, what does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us poor sinners that we are any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Uh, The Lord's Prayer teaches us to think of forgiveness in terms of the debts we owe. Uh, Sometimes when we go and or maybe it's, it's, we're visiting a church or we're, we've never been there before and they pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe when we get to this petition, we're not sure where we're going exactly because some people will pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And some people have asked, why do does, why does some people pray one way? Why do some people pray the other way? Is there a difference between debts and trespasses? Um, well, no, the, our Lord uses both words in Matthew 6 when he, when he recounts the Lord's Prayer, and I think that's why it's led to using both that way. He talks about, in the first place, forgive us our debts. That's clearly the word he uses in teaching the Lord's Prayer. But what does he say immediately following that? If we read from Matthew six twelve and just pick up the Lord's Prayer at this petition, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then our Lord goes on to say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Um, So debts and trespasses are essentially the same thing. Debt is simply a word that means the thing you owe. And trespasses tells us what we owe. We owe because we have trespassed. We've sinned against God's law by some false step or failure. It's two ways of thinking about the same thing. Um, And it's a reminder to us that we are debtors to God in many ways. Uh, This petition is particularly talking about the debt that our sin has incurred, but we are debtors to God in a lot of ways. By virtue of our creation, we were debtors to God's divine goodness, Uh, He made this creation for us. He made this creation that we might live in fellowship with him. It was his divine goodness that brought us into the world, and we had a debt to that divine goodness that we were created with. 
um, to, to serve him as we were created to serve him. We were made to be faithful servants to God. We owed him that obedience by virtue of our creation. Um, it's that kind of concept we read about in Luke 17.10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. Um, we owe a debt to the divine goodness to serve God by virtue of our creation. Of course, we failed to serve our God. We chose to disobey him rather than to uh, love him and serve him. Um, and so we incurred a different kind of debt, a debt to his divine justice. Um, a debt that we could not pay. Because what are the wages of sin? What is owed to the trespass of our sin? Well, Paul says clearly the wages of our sin is death. And not just physical death, right? Eternal death is the consequence, the debt that our sin is owed. It's like having a 200,000 years worth of debt, of earnings debt owed. It's the kind of thing you can't pay. Um, no matter what you do, you can't pay it. And seeing us owing that debt to his divine justice, what did our God do? Our God made provision to save us from that debt. Because we could not pay that debt ourselves, God showed his love and his grace and his mercy towards us by sending his son to save us. Um, the catechism refers to the blood of Christ as the source of our forgiveness. It's a reminder that that blood was shed to pay the debt our sin owed. Uh, that was the payment for what our trespasses deserved. That Jesus gave up his infinitely valuable life there on the cross to pay the debt of our sins. His death on the cross was the payment that sets us free. He paid the debt and made us free, as we sometimes sing. And we receive all the benefits of that payment, of that, of that death by grace through faith. Um, and then as we think about that, then we can think about debts in another way. We, we owed him a debt of, to the divine goodness by being created as sinners. We owed a debt to the divine justice because we were sinners. And now that we've been saved, we owe a debt to the divine mercy to show forth our love for God and grateful service for such a great salvation. Uh, Paul talks of thinking about our lives lived as debtors. He says in Romans 8, 12 to 13, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are debtors to God for the goodness that he has showered upon us in Jesus Christ. And he is deserving of our grateful obedience in light of the salvation that is freely given to us. Think of how that servant must have felt in that moment. The master has, had been ready to sell him, sell his family, sell his children, sell everything he has. And he pleads with him, have patience with me. I'll pay you what I owe you. And the master looks at him and knows he can't do that and has pity on him. And just says, you know, forget it. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be in his shoes and to just have that weight come off? Um, it, it would just be something he would never even have expected. It was far beyond what he was asking for. He was asking for patience, just for time 
to try to pay. But instead, it's just forgiven. It just goes away. Um, And of course, in the parable, it wants us to see our heavenly father as the king and master who does this, who just says, you know, I know you can't pay. So I sent my son to pay, and he has paid for you. And the debt's been cleared. You just don't owe it anymore. That's the good news of the gospel, that that debt that is so big we really can't even truly understand it. And maybe that servant's, you know, stayed up nights calculating it out again and again, going, oh boy, this is really, I've gotten myself in a really bad situation here. Um, he, could, he could at least calculate it. David, thinking about his life in comparison to the law of God in Psalm nineteen twelve, says, who can discern his errors? Um, what he means there is, who can even really understand how bad it is? Right, that servant could at least add it up and calculate how bad it is. David is saying, we really can't even look, use the law and understand fully how bad it is, the debt that we owe. Um, and every single one of us was in the exact same position. Right? Paul wants that to be very clearly understood in Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's not one of us who isn't like the servant who owes more than they can possibly pay, whose debt has been, sin has incurred a debt beyond which we, pay, we can pay. Um, and that leaves us all hopeless in ourselves. The psalmist puts it very starkly in Psalm 49, 7-9. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. All of our sin incurs a debt that we cannot pay. Our only hope is forgiveness. And when we come to God, we have to reckon with that. In praying this petition, we have to understand clearly our need to be forgiven. And that if we are to be forgiven, then someone else is going to have to do the forgiving for some other reason than than anything that's in us. That's why this petition has to reckon with the fact that there is no forgiveness apart from the cross of Christ. That only there was the debt of our sins paid. The debt of our justice we owed was paid because there Christ as the perfect sacrifice whose life was of infinite value laid that down for all of his people, body and soul to fulfill the debt that we owed, to pay the debt that we owed to his divine justice that by his blood we might be set free. And that's why the good news is that he has died for sinners. The debt has been paid. It has been canceled, right? Paul talks that way in Colossians 2, saying that's what Jesus' death has done. That's what the Father did in sending his Son to die for sinners. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 to 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What we owed has been paid for by the death of the Son of God. What our trespasses incurred, that debt, Christ has paid it 
by his cross. That's why forgiveness can only be found in the blood of Jesus Christ shed for sinners. Only by faith in him can we be freed from all the transgressions we do and all the evil that constantly clings to us. And Jesus wants us to understand not only that we have this need, but when we express that need and when we understand that need and when we turn to God in faith expressing that need, Jesus wants us to be assured that he will hear our plea and forgive us. When we pray, forgive us our debts, our master receives us, our Father in heaven receives us the way the master receives the petition he gets in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He pleaded and he heard him and he forgave it and he released him because he had pity on him. We have a God who has pity on us. He knows we're sinners. That's why he teaches us a prayer. You need to be forgiven, so forgive, your, forgive us our debts. It expresses that hope, but he wants us to be left with the hope that that prayer will be heard. We have a father not only who wants us to pray, forgive us our debts, but who promises to forgive us our debts for the sake of the blood of his son, And we need to know that when we pray in faith, pleading the sacrifice of Christ before our Father in heaven, we can be sure that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. He's a God who's willing to be found by those who seek him. That's why it's wonderful to think that the opening of this whole parable is Peter's question, Lord, when is enough enough? What's too much? I mean... Like, I'm thinking seven times is too much. Like, if you have to keep asking seven times, that seems to me a lot. What do you think, Lord? Is seven times about a good standard, a good rule of thumb? You know, Peter's been, it's, you might think, just, okay, Peter, come on, again? Um, but why is he bringing that up? Well, because we've just heard earlier in Matthew 18 about how the Lord is going to call on the church to get involved in sin and forgiveness. You know, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him the fault, and then if he won't hear you, go get someone else to go with him. If they won't hear them, then go and tell the church. That's all about how to work with forgiveness, and Peter probably is thinking, okay, so someday this is going to be our responsibility to try to sort these things through, and I need to know when you say, okay, no, it's too much. You can't be forgiven. Seven times sounds like a lot to me. Is that about right? And Jesus says, no, how about 77 times? And what that really beautifully expresses for us is the heart of God when it comes to forgiveness. Um, When is enough enough with God? When has he just had it with you and you can't go back? Because we worry about that sometimes, don't we? When our sin is so bad or our sin is coming again and we know we've confessed this kind of thing before and we need to come to him again and we find ourselves saying, I've got to go back and say the exact same thing to my father. Is he going to listen this time? Will this be a bridge too far for him? And what Jesus is helping us to understand is if you go to your father and you're asking him in sincerity and faith to forgive your sins, he will forgive your sins. He's never going to turn you away. He's your father. And that's why God wants this kind of attitude cultivated in us. First, understand that he will always meet our need to be forgiven. When we come to him in repentance and faith, 
he will forgive us. That's why we often use as an assurance of pardon the wonderful words from the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to know that no matter how deep and dark and filthy the stain of sin is on our soul, the blood of Christ can make the foulest clean. Uh, We have a need to be forgiven. Then our Lord says, and then we need to be able to take that and apply that across to others. To apply that across to others because we have a need to be forgiven, but we also have a need to be forgiving. Uh, To be able to take what's been done for us by our God and emulate that as we, do, as we move towards others. That's what's so awful about the servant in this passage who's been forgiven so much. And then has someone come to him who owes him comparatively little and makes to him the exact same plea he made to the king. It's almost the exact same words, isn't it? Have mercy on me, I will pay you. The only difference is that guy could actually pay. There was actually some hope or prospect that he could pay that kind of debt. Um, But he won't have patience and he won't let him pay. He throws him in prison. And it's teaching us as the king hears about it to say, I don't understand how you could do that. How you could have someone come to you and ask for forgiveness and not forgive them when you came and asked me and I forgave you. That's what he says You in verse 32, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? We're taught something very important in this prayer about our need to be forgiving. We are, we are to model what's been done for us by our God. Someone has said forgiveness really, God's forgiveness to us really has to be our motive and our model as we go to forgive others. God's forgiveness should provide the motive for our forgiveness. We should forgive others because we've been forgiven so much more by our God. And what we learn in this passage too is that God's God's forgiveness ought to be our model for forgiveness because it reminds us in the first place that forgiveness is costly. It's a wonderful thing for the king to say, you're forgiven. What does it cost the servant to be forgiven? Nothing. I mean, it's all, it's all gravy to him. It's all, it's all free for him to be forgiven. What does it cost the master to forgive him? Right? 200,000 years worth of work that he would have earned. That value is gone. Who pays the cost in forgiveness? The king pays the cost. It's free for the servant, it's costly for the king. And then as we turn to forgive other people, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that when we're called to forgive, what should we expect? It's going to be costly for us. When we're the ones who've been wronged, who've tra- people have trespassed against us, it's going to cost us something to forgive. It doesn't cost us nearly what it cost our Father to forgive. 
What did our free forgiveness cost our father? He had to give up his son, his only son who he loved. And his son had to come and give up his life and death, body and soul on the cross. It's free for us. It cost him. We shouldn't be surprised to find that forgiveness might be costly for us. It's not going to be an easy thing to do to forgive. That's why I thought it would be good for us to think about how do we forgive? How do we try to be a forgiving people? Because we don't want to end up like the unmerciful servant. This is a cautionary tale, right? We don't want to end up like this servant. So how can we think about forgiveness in a way that might help us? <clears throat> well, one person talking about the, what he called the mechanics of forgiveness said, we have to keep in mind that forgiveness is a vertical commitment followed by a horizontal transaction. And I think that's a good way of thinking about how forgiveness works. It's a vertical commitment. First and foremost, it's a commitment that we make to God. And then it's a horizontal transaction that we enter into with other people. But it really has to begin with that vertical commitment in forgiveness. It's that vertical commitment of what we do with how we've been wronged before God that our Lord talks about in Mark eleven twenty five. When he says, whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. That's such an important verse because no one's asking to be forgiven in that verse, is it? It's just, you are standing before God. And before God, you recognize you have something against someone. They've trespassed against you. And what are you to do in that moment? You're to forgive. You're to give it over to your father. Um, and we should do this regardless of whether that person has sought our forgiveness or sought to be reconciled to us. That vertical commitment we make is before any kind of horizontal. It's the thing we do before our God. Um, and by doing that, we're expressing our, as one person put it, our genuine concern to be reconciled to our brother or sister if possible, and our willingness to grant forgiveness to them. This is the prayer to God that we are making, that he would make us a forgiving people. And that kind of unconditional verbal commit, uh, vertical commitment is seen in the scriptures. Isn't that what Jesus does when he prays in Luke twenty three twenty four? And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Certainly there, no one is asking Jesus for his forgiveness. But what is his commitment to his father? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, showing that he was a disciple of the Lord when he was dying, said something similar in Acts 7.60 when he's being killed for serving Christ. He prays similarly and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's a vertical commitment to forgive. No one is asking for forgiveness in these situations. In fact, they're trespassing in the moment. And yet, what is the commitment to God? Forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. These prayers are the expression of the Christian heart to commit these things to God and to ask God to make us a forgiving people 
And that helps us to maintain, I think, a crucial perspective that we need to be, as God's people, trying our hardest to cultivate an attitude, even when no one is asking for forgiveness, to be eager and willing and ready to forgive. And that one of the most important parts of forgiveness is to commit the trespasses against us to God. To commit them to God for His justice and for His safekeeping. And that too, in doing that, we are following the example of our Lord. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 22-23, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That unconditional vertical commitment of himself to his God. That's what we saw in our Lord, Peter says. And only when we've made that vertical commitment of the offenses to our God can we follow through with a horizontal transaction of then trying to work to forgiveness and reconciliation with others um, to extend forgiveness to them based on their repentance. This is a huge subject and too much for us to try to tackle every single aspect of it tonight. But what is the particular aspect that comes to us from our passage? Here we have someone who is genuinely pleading for forgiveness. If your brother asks for your forgiveness, how many times should you do it? Here we have people asking for forgiveness. When someone comes asking us for forgiveness, what is our response to be? Um, our Lord says something remarkable in Luke 17, 3 to 4. He said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. How does that strike you? You know how it struck the apostles? Lord, increase our faith. I don't know that I can do that. And every bit of us wants to rebel against that or be like, okay, now, when I have questions, Lord, uh, because seven times in the same day, are you really sorry? Are you really, I mean, how, how many times could you, you, you know how we would struggle with that? But again, what is the Lord trying to reveal to us? It's the heart of God towards us. Where he says, you came to me seven times in the day, repenting of your sins, I'll forgive you. Um, obviously, those things need to be very clearly spelled out. I'm not trying to make light of the, the things that need to be part of genuine repentance. But the Lord is clearly saying here, if someone were to come genuinely repenting, Seven times in the day. If your brother repents, forgive him. That's the command from our Lord. It's similar to this passage when someone comes and have patience, have patience with me, I will pay you. It's not easy when you've been trespassed against. Um, this guy grabs him and chokes him by the throat before he falls down pleading for mercy. We don't like being trespassed against. It's hard. And it's the, the greater the sin, the greater the trespass, the more difficult it is, the more costly and taxing it is to try to forgive. And that's why God's forgiveness has to be our motive and has to be our model. 
Because whatever others have done to us, no matter how great the sin, it's nothing compared to the eternal crime we committed against our God who could only forgive us by being just and sending his son to die for our sins. It's nothing compared to what he did for our sins at his great cost. Um, And so we have to be a people willing to forgive. Now that all being said, there are important things to keep in mind when we come to forgiveness. Uh, One is that forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Um, There's going to be more work required to reconcile than just forgiveness, but it's, it's what has to happen to prepare the way for reconciliation. Um, And so reconciliation is a further horizontal transaction, again, sort of beyond the scope of what we're talking about here, but we don't want to misunderstand this and say, well, forgiveness is the same as reconciliation. It's not. It's an event that I think someone has said prepares the way. I think that's a good way of understanding. Forgiveness is the event that prepares the way for reconciliation. We're also not saying that forgiveness erases the consequences of sin. Right? If this guy who owed his, owed his master 200,000 years worth of work came to him the next day and said, I'd like another loan, he might have said, you know what? No. I don't think I'm going to loan you any more money. Um, it doesn't erase the consequences of sin to be forgiving. Again, it, it's foundational. It gives us a way to work forward and work on the consequences of sin. But we recognize that what we sow, we also reap. There are consequences of the things that we do. So it doesn't mean that consequences are erased. So we have to understand that. But I think another crucial thing for us to understand as we come to this command from our God to forgive if someone repents is that forgiveness is more about obedience than it is about feelings. Um, even though we associate it with feelings, forgiveness is really more about obedience, right? If you couldn't forgive until you felt like it, then God really couldn't come to you and say, if your brother repents, forgive him. If we had to wait to do that till we feel like it, um, we wouldn't be able to obey that command. One counselor said, if we demand the benefits of forgiveness before we take the risk of forgiveness, we, come, we become trapped at the crucial point. Right? To wait for the absence of negative emotions would run counter to Scripture's emphasis on the timeliness of forgiveness. Um, how could we obey that command? And again, you know, the disciples are recognizing that. Seven times in the day, Lord, increase our faith. That's hard to do. So how might we move forward to trying to obey this command in a way that's pleasing to our Lord? Um, Well, I I think people have pointed out four promises that are involved in forgiveness that I think are very important. Um, The first is I won't dwell on this incident. The second is I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. The third is I will not talk to others about this incident. And the fourth is, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Um, I think all of those are key to try to work through forgiveness. All of those are modeled on what our God does for us. It's a wonderful thing when we meditate on those passages of Scripture that says, I will remember your sins no more. To know that God is not dwelling on our sins. He's not thinking about them. He hides them behind his back. 
He separates them from us as far as the east is from the west, and he casts them behind his back so that he remembers them no more. Our God is wonderful in that way. He does not publish our sins abroad. He doesn't bring up our sins to use against us at some future time. He doesn't let our sins stand between us and his relationship with us. That's the wonder of our God. And if we're to be like him, an approach trying to be like him in our forgiveness, we have to follow some of those same promises. And I think of of the promises, the first is the most crucial. I will not dwell on this incident. And that's why I think when we find ourselves dwelling on it, we need to take it to the Lord in prayer. It's especially important for Christians in a community of faith to get this right because we are going to trespass against each other. We are sinners. We sin against each other in many ways. And we have to learn how to go seek forgiveness when we've trespassed against people. But we also need to know how to forgive when they come seeking our forgiveness. And if we continue to dwell on these incidents and not let it go, um, we'll never be able to move forward and have a relationship with each other at all. And when we break that promise to not dwell on it, we have to see that as our offense against God. That's something I'm doing. That's not something now that the person who sinned against me is doing. That's something I'm doing. Um, And I need to take that to God as my sin. Father, forgive me my unforgiving spirit. And we should be willing to work at this because of how important Jesus says this is. That when you pray, forgive us our debts, you should be saying, as I forgive my debtors. Um, That if we don't do what God is willing to do for us, for others, we haven't learned the lesson about our own forgiveness. It has the danger of being a consequence of not realizing how much we need forgiveness and how much we've been forgiven. Because if we really appreciate what God has done for us, it'll help us greatly to, to relate to others when we keep in mind how much we've been forgiven and how little we're actually asking to be forgiven from one another. Um, when you sin against me, it's not a sin against eternal majesty. It doesn't require satisfaction. And at best, all I do is stop being mad at you. Right? I mean, that, it's not, you're not asking for a lot. I'm not giving a lot. It's not comparable to how God forgives. Um, we need to keep that in mind and must be constantly on our guard to see if the spirit of the unmerciful servant is taking up space in our hearts and rather show forth the spirit of our merciful Savior. For we know that we have passed out of death to life because we love the brothers. First um, John three fourteen is crucial in that respect. So I just want to close with something J.C. Ryle said, thinking about Mark twenty five, and our if you remember something your brother has against you, forgive him while you stand praying. Ryle said, "Do we know what it is to be of a forgiving spirit? Can we forgive the injuries that we receive from time to time in this evil world?" Can we pass over a transgression and pardon an offense? If not, where is our Christianity? If not, why should we wonder that our souls do not prosper? Let us resolve to amend our ways in this matter. Let us determine by God's grace to forgive even as we hope to be forgiven. This is the nearest approach we can make to the mind of Christ Jesus. 
This is the character which is most suitable to a poor, sinful child of Adam. God's free forgiveness of sins is our highest privilege in this world. God's free forgiveness will be our only title to eternal life in the world to come. Then let us be forgiving during the few years that we are here upon earth. Lord, increase our faith that we would forgive our others our debts as we have been forgiven. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we with your disciples have so much difficulty with forgiveness. We are eager to seek your forgiveness when we've sinned, but we confess that we are often too unwilling to forgive the sins of those who trespassed against us. And we pray that you would create in our hearts more and more the spirit of your son, that we would desire to be a forgiving people. We all, Lord, get hurt in many ways in this world, and there are people that trespass against us in ways that are small and that are great. We pray that you would help us to give those things up to you this evening, to give them up to you as the God who will safeguard justice and see that it's done. But we do desire, Father, to be a forgiving people, uh, to be able to relate what we've been, what's been done for us to others. And so we pray that you would help us and that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and that we may glorify you in our forgiving spirit. Forgive us all of our sins, we pray, for the sake of the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.